Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine through. Well, today I'm delighted to welcome Joe Hunter to Life Beyond the Numbers. Joe, you're so welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Really looking forward to this conversation. That's great. And is it sunny where you are today, Joe? It is a beautiful day. I live in Stroud in Gloucestershire, so I'm looking out over the green hills and lush grass and, yeah, beautiful blue sky. It's a, it's a good day. It makes such a difference, doesn't it, to have that weather, the impact of a blue sky. It's hard not to feel happy. Exactly. And I think it's that thing that makes everything a bit easier. We all met up yesterday in the office and we were able to stroll, get some lunch, hang out together in a park. like, And that kind of, yeah, that ease of not having to sort of run and with your hood over your head in the rain or it's freezing, I can't be able to go out here. or Yeah, the integration of inside and outside suddenly gets a lot easier. It does. I've been doing my research as I do before people come on. And one of the things you said that really struck me was, and I'm going to read this out, I spent the first 30 years of my life, well, maybe not the first five to eight, being a massive perfectionist. And becoming a perfectionist can creep up on you. So I'd love to hear more about what all of that means, (laughs) Joe. Well, I think for me, those first five to eight years, I was very much, as most kids are, I love to play, love to make stuff up I was always doing shows and dances but I was also some I really think of myself then or feel feel myself then being big with lots of ideas and not many edges and sometimes I think I felt like I was a bit too much for people but people enjoyed that joy and energy of me so I tried to keep that but then smooth around down the edges and as I got to school I was sort of you know, relatively clever and good at stuff. And so that was really encouraged in me to kind of keep doing the things I was good at. And I think the more you're encouraged to do the things you're good at, as we are in school, we start to focus on those things and not necessarily the things that we love or we enjoy doing for fun. And although I was someone that kept a lot of creativity around me or certainly kept a lot of arts around me, doing singing, doing dancing, doing drama, what I think I stopped doing was 
just having a go or experimenting or trying it all became about being the best at something or being good at something or being perfect at something and suddenly I found that I was living a life in which I was doing really well and was really really successful and I'd and it's funny because I sort of wonder how long I might have gone along like that but basically I had a big breakup I was in quite a big job and suddenly everything became a bit too much and I became really overwhelmed and stressed I started to have panic attacks and when I started to deal with that I realized how much kind of background anxiety I had just been carrying around through the pursuit of perfection (laughs) just all the time every day trying to keep all of the balls in the air and everything so that no one would know how much effort I was having to go to (laughs) to do everything and it and it was so exhausting and draining and I didn't even know that that is what I was doing and it's the frog in boiling water analogy isn't it so it started off probably doing one report trying to get that perfect putting in an extra hour or whatever and then doing that for everything and did somebody say something to you Joe that helped you uncover that or was it your own personal reflections or can you remember was there something in particular that you went oh I think there were a couple of things just talking it through and hearing myself say out loud I think in therapy was really helpful to be like oh yeah okay (laughs) this is bonkers and I read a lot of Brené Brown Brené Brown's The Gift of Imperfection I sort of loved and felt like she'd written a book about me and was like oh my goodness this is my life but also I think to me one of the biggest things that happened was I started thinking about creativity I took this month off work and I did little creative challenges every day I also did a couple of courses that were really transformational and were very much about reconnecting with myself and in that I suddenly rediscovered that a bit of me without the edges the really full of joy like this hugeness of fun and joy and exuberance and love and I thought oh, now I feel relaxed. Like now I feel like me again. And so it wasn't about removing the imperfection. It was like just busting out by being so full of love and of of happiness that I was like, oh yeah, why would I box myself in with that again? And not say I don't do that because <laughs> it's quite a hard thing to unlearn. <laughs> but I think what I really found during that time and through the rediscovery of my creativity I re-found myself. I re-found who I wanted to be in the world. I also could see why people would love me like that. And I think ultimately what I had come to believe was the thing that made me lovable was all the perfect stuff. Whereas actually that's the opposite, really. (laughs) The stuff that people love about me is when I'm not trying to do that. And again, that's something about myself that is hard to unlearn, but it's where I feel happiest when I where I remember that for myself. And it, you use the word love a lot in there, which is really lovely to hear as well. And I actually kind of feel it coming from you in the word exuberance as well, because you're beaming. But if I just take you back into the school experience, because one of the things you said was doing something that you're good at versus doing something you enjoy. And I wonder if this is something a lot of us, do we mistake one for the other? 
So do we think if we're good at something that then that's enough, even if we don't enjoy it? Absolutely. And for me, it was very much about pleasing other people. You know, I was a good student who was well liked by my teachers and that felt important. And it felt important once I'd got a bit of that to maintain it to grow it, to make sure they still liked me, (laughs) to be the person that I was supposed to be, which was this very well-behaved, good student who was just sparky enough that I (laughs) could make stuff up or be the person they wanted me to be and stand out and be the kind of, I didn't go to a posh school, but if I had done, it might've been the head girl or that kind of role. (laughs) But I think I had to stay in a box And again, I didn't notice it was happening. You don't notice it's happening because it does feel good to be liked. It feels good to be good. It feels good to be the way people want you to. You get loads of validation. I certainly didn't have a bad experience at school, but it meant that that was very difficult to untangle that part of me. I don't want to stay in school for too long, but the other thing I wonder about school, are our choices limited? Also, we only have a range of subjects that we choose from. (laughs) So they might necessarily, we mightn't enjoy any of them, but we're probably motivated by at least being mastery of some of them. Mm. And again, then we will put all our eggs in one basket, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because because again, that thing around what is creativity and what is art, I was certainly labelled as a creative per- person, creative kid. I did a lot of the art subjects. I did English, I did sociology. But what I think is really interesting about school and, and one of the things that concerns me about where we're at now with education is we talk a lot about art subjects falling out of school and that is criminal and really hard and I don't agree with it. But the thing that I feel most concerned with about school, and I think this was the same when I went to school, is that there's not a huge amount of creativity in teaching because teachers who are incredible creative human beings aren't getting any space to be able to play or try things out or try things in a new way. It's all about results and linear progression and creativity isn't being valued in that environment at all and that is really scary because I actually just think if all kids could retain their creativity as much as they can as they go older like that that skill and that's not really a skill it's a quality it's a part of you but that's such an important thing for life (laughs) to be able to try stuff out and imagine new things and break the rules and make new rules and reimagine that to me is the most important thing that we can all do. And, and the fact that it's kind of essentially being educated out of us is pretty scary. It, yeah, I, I suppose you can't educate us out of us. It brings to mind 1984. And no matter <laughs> what's going on, there's always going to be people that retain that part. But maybe we're on a trajectory of the linear path, like you said, and then we go in that formation. Some of us might be lucky enough to really retain the creativity, but more of us, it'll come back to us later. And which brings me to 64 million artists. 
which is just a phenomenal name <laughs> for an organization. So tell me about 64 million artists. <laughs> so when we named 64 million artists, there were 64 million people living in the UK, although obviously nine years on, we are a few more. Uh, but yeah, I suppose for me, it, I don't believe we ever lose our creativity. We're all creative. We all hang on to it. But yeah, we have different abilities to access it at different times and, and particularly really so much of it is around the conditions that we live in the conditions that we create for ourselves the conditions that are imposed on us that allow or don't allow for our creativity and so what we're interested in is how do you create those conditions and how do you create cultures in which creativity thrives whether that's a work culture a school culture a community culture how do you create those environments for people to rediscover their creativity we say when you are creative you can change your life and the world around you as well and you feel more connected more caring and that's to me what it is to live like an artist (laughs) to be able to see the possibilities in the world to have the courage and the ability to risk and take a chance on doing something different doing something new so yeah that's what we do we do big public programs of 50,000 people take part in our January challenge each year we work with organizations and we work on creative leadership but we also do lots of work in communities kind of up and down the UK helping them to come together and sort of co-create structures in which creativity can thrive. So what enables creativity thrive? Great question. (laughs) It's really interesting because we always say, is creativity the kind of tool or is it the end goal? And actually, I think for us, it's always circular and cyclical in that we're using creativity in order to enable creativity, which then enables more creativity. The things that are important are creating an environment in which people trust each other and feel safe. And again, we encourage that through creativity. A lot of what we talk about is that creativity allows for these, someone described it the other day as micro vulnerabilities. <laughs> it's a way of you kind of testing something out and trying, and then you share with each other, you create this culture in which you can sort of test and try and it's sort of at the beginning silly and frivolous and it's not scary the stakes aren't too high and then you learn from that and you can try other things and you can try bigger ideas and you can try bolder ideas so a lot of it is looking at that also around creating connection so those vulnerabilities allow us to get to know people in a different way one of the things I really enjoy is going into an environment that is often not associated with a lot of vulnerability. We do a lot of work in higher education. We do a lot of work in universities and big Russell Group universities with a lot of hierarchy and particular kind of environment. And this work is amazing because actually so much, so often you're invited to come in with all your status and your hats and all the things that you do. Whereas actually, if you start to get people to share what makes them smile or try different activities and then share them with each other you suddenly create an environment in which people just are allowed to be themselves and show up and from there they can create much bolder much more interesting ideas because they're building a sense of self that is more congruous with who they are so yeah we're always experimenting and learning and trying new things it's really about allowing people to have a go at being a version of themselves they want to be in tiny ways and building from there Yeah. And does it meet resistance 
And what I mean, I suppose, you know, you go into an organization and they want to be better at whatever it is. You know, we've got this problem. We're not dealing with it. We need someone to come in and make us more effective, efficient, all of this. And then you come along and say, well, we're going to try and play. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How do people meet that? What do they say? Yeah, our values are really strong and at the center of everything that we do. And I think there have probably been times in the past when we were first starting out that we would bend over backwards and try and cover up the creativity a bit in order to win a contract or smuggle our way in. But actually now I think we feel really confident A, a in that we know the value in what we do for people. Mainly we just talk about that, but also one of the things that we have seen, for example, so what this program that we run in universities is all about developing big ideas for impact and research. And we've been running that program for seven or eight years. And we have seen that the people who have been through the program are developing ideas that win 20 million pounds in funding for a new center or a big program grant for four million pounds those things aren't they're not the opposite of each other it might slow things down you might need to stop and play and try and do things differently for a while and not all be about go 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 but in the end I do think you get to bigger ideas and bolder ideas and if for you that means money great if it means more people great if it means more social impact great whatever it is it does get to the results people want, but I don't think we ever promise that. I don't think we ever want to say it has to be about that. To me, it's always about the experience for the people, about creating an environment in which something might happen. And I think sometimes that holds us back, that we're not prepared to say, you will come out of this doing X, Y, or Z, or feeling this, Y, or this, or our data shows this. We don't do that. What I think we do do is develop trust with clients. We're able to sort of share ourselves, be vulnerable with people and say, this is what we believe in. And if people buy into it, great. That's how we develop our relationships. And also on the whole, that makes much nicer <laughs> client relationships than having overpromised something and then feeling really stressed about delivering it. Well, that kind of takes away the creativity in itself, doesn't it? It's good to be able to be creative within constraints, but I think you have to be careful what those constraints might be yeah exactly yeah (laughs) and I I think it is hard I feel like again we're so wired as people to stick with what we know or try something over and over again because that's the way it's always done and I find it really fascinating post-pandemic because we saw when the pandemic happened that you can just do things completely differently when you have to. Like when something massive on that scale happens, you just have to throw everything up in the air and see what happens. And it's so interesting now to see how quickly a lot of organizations or people can constrict right back and say, oh, well, we should go back to doing it this way or we should do it this way. And you just think, well, actually, there's this huge opening. There's this moment to say, it didn't work. And so how could we do it in a way that would work or would feel better? And we might not know the answers yet, but how do we allow ourselves to be with uncertainty? I mean, that I think so much of all of this stuff is, is that, that people find that really, really scary, which I totally understand. And I definitely am someone that have really increased and improved my tolerance for it, which I think is a real benefit, but it is still hard and difficult to be with uncertainty but I do think that's where all the boldest and best ideas come from yeah and I was thinking 
about this because Einstein's quote, if I had an hour to think about a solution or whatever it is to a problem, I would spend 55 minutes on the problem and then five minutes on the solution, because that's the other thing I think we often rush to fix something or to create funnily enough a solution without necessarily spending the time understanding the problem or the drivers of the problem or the root causes because we want to move on to the next thing and perhaps that's the same when it comes to creativity creativity is fine if we have time Mm, we want to get on and solve the problem yeah. We'd like to do that in a creative way, but not spend any time at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so true. And I, I think so much really as well of creativity is in the delving in to the issue, because I think it's also around how do you equip yourself with the courage to look at the hard stuff? It's like we talk about the mental health crisis in the UK and everyone's like, what are all the solutions? Like, what's the solution to the mental health crisis? What shall we do? Rather than let's have a long, hard look at why we are in a mental health crisis. We've been in recession forever. All social services are completely breaking. The health service is breaking. People are breaking. The economy isn't serving people. Huge numbers of people on the poverty line can't feed themselves. That's why we're in a mental health crisis. And actually, if we come from there and if we think about things like that, then we can start to come up with completely different solutions, which aren't, let's stick everyone in therapy. I mean, great if we could stick everyone in therapy, but actually it's much more like, how do we make sure that people can eat? Because then maybe they might feel (laughs) a bit better about their lives and themselves. So yeah, I think to me also, creativity helps me have the kind of courage and the stamina to look at that difficult stuff. Because yeah, that's where I I feel like the solutions will come from is the walking around in the dirt trying to to get to what actually help. I completely agree. And we've used the word creativity a lot, okay? And you have 64 million artists. And when I think of artists, I think of somebody drawing. I mean, that is the first thing that comes into my head. And I think creativity is so much broader than that. And so what is creativity, Jo? <laughs> yeah, that is such a great question. <laughs> I feel like I'm always using like 50,000 different definitions for it. And like the dictionary definition that I use the most is one which is the ability to transcend traditional ideas, rules and patterns and create new ones. And that's why I've always said, I think it's so dangerous to say that there are some people that are creative and some people aren't because what you're talking about is sort of a massive fundamental inequity in society where we're saying like you've got the right to create you've got the right to make up this idea you've got a right to have an opinion whereas you don't and that just isn't fair and isn't true and so to me that's fundamentally what it is the thing that I think creativity helps with but also the thing that you need to have creativity is all about courage and love and having an expression of yourself that is true to who you are and I think to me when you are creative that's what you're doing you're speaking to the truest version of yourself and that's the thing that I feel most passionate about there's this great Vincent van Gogh quote which is the most artistic act there is is to love someone I just believe that so passionately like that 
what we're giving to the world when we're able to be a true version of ourselves is love and we are able to put love out into the world we're able to receive love we're able to share love with other people and that's the world living artfully (laughs) like that's us all being artists is having that freedom and I think yeah that's what's beautiful about art and creativity and yeah sometimes for some people it's drawing (laughs) sometimes it's exploring some people it's sometimes it's expressing yourself sometimes it's writing and singing and doing the more arty things and for some people it's not it's how you solve problems with numbers or how you do whatever like it's different it looks different for everybody yeah that's interesting how you solve problems with numbers because I think For me, accounting was creative in that regard because I just loved getting stuck into numbers and figuring things out and moving things around and getting them to do stuff. It's great. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, what we talked about earlier, I was good at it and I enjoyed certain parts, but it didn't mean that it was what I loved to do either. And I think it's easy for us to go into a career that we are good at but don't necessarily enjoy so can we have both though joe can we be in a career that we're good at and be creative outside of that job that nine to five or whatever it might be it's probably more than that for most people but can you find a balance that enables you to continue perhaps in your professional life even if it's not fulfilling completely by finding creative outlet outside of work definitely or inside of work (laughs) so much of what you see in workplaces where people are doing baking competitions or the thing I love most doing what we do is often about really inviting tiny tiny bits of creativity into a normal work day so whether that's when you have your team meeting you check in with each other by saying like which weather do you feel most like today (laughs) or describe the view from your window if you're in your zoom or like finding a little bit of you and bringing it into work and we're not talking about go out and do some huge creative artistic project or for me it's about this idea of creativity is almost like a practice that you're doing daily to bring more of yourself to life to to deal with life (laughs) I might say it feels like sometimes at the moment but yeah it is for some people they have a really clear thing like they do their choir or they do their painting or they write stories or poems or they have a creative outlet for someone like me I think I'm not like that for me my creative outlet is often about engaging with people or helping them with problems or listening and coming up with solutions to stuff like that's how I am that's how my creativity is for me so I think a lot of it is really about identifying what the thing is for you that brings you to life and thinking about how do I do that as much as I can so sometimes thinking yeah I'm gonna play piano or I'm gonna do whatever outside but also thinking about what is it about the playing of the piano and how can you bring that to work too because what's also dangerous is that we say well our work life is this part of me and this is the rest of me whereas actually that often ends up with you feeling stressed or torn apart because you're two different people all the time. Whereas the more that you can bring yourself to work and bring a version of you that you feel comfortable sharing, the happier I think you will be. Yeah, and you said something, an expression of yourself who is true to who you are. I think that's really beautiful. And maybe for many of us, we don't really know who we are until we reconnect because at some point we did 
but we reconnect with that true expression of ourselves. So if someone's listening to this today and they're thinking, ooh, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I don't think that applies to me. Yeah. You know, because we do rationalize stuff like that as well. How would you get someone to start thinking about maybe those little micro creative moments? I think, again, this is why we don't say you're like, our work will change your life. Everything's different for different people. What I would say is, for me, that throwing myself into doing something creative and risking having a go at something and not being very good at it (laughs) really opened me up and really helped me change how I approach the world. So what I would say is, if you are feeling stuck or if you're not feeling very much like yourself or you're struggling with that I'm doing this at work and this outside of work think about that idea of micro creativities you can find all sorts of stuff on our website we do a weekly challenge that you can try we do this daily challenge in January but we also have yeah groups and events and things that you can join or it might be you say to your friends let's try this together and share with each other. I think sometimes as well, we think we have to do something that's very specific, like, oh, I'm feeling a bit stuck. So I've really got to like delve into like, what's the issue here. That can be really overwhelming to think, oh, I've got to go to therapy or I've got to do this. And that can be like a, a lot to deal with. And sometimes that is needed. And I always recommend therapy. I think it's a brilliant thing. But I suppose to me, this idea of trying to write for five minutes about how you are today or trying to notice as you walk along what are the patterns that you're drawn to seeing or what are your patterns are you noticing in the environment around you or if you could spend five minutes closing your eyes and imagining exactly where you'd like to be right now like those little exercises where you can kind of have a little window into gosh I'm so surprised at what I wrote or like that was interesting that when I let my mind just wonder this is what I came up with it's like these little bits of self-knowledge that we kind of pick up about ourselves when we try out these kind of activities is something that I am really fascinated by yeah and there's probably hints everywhere around your house as well totally. I remember I was thinking there about one previous podcast guest who realized that heart was the word that she had to use but she turned heart into an acronym but she said it took her like so long to realize that heart was her word and one night she went to bed and she went okay think about this and when she woke up in the morning she said in her whole room there was just hearts everywhere (laughs) (laughs) like one on whatever chain she wore and when she said it to her friends everybody was like yeah like duh (laughs) (laughs) So I do think as well that we scatter clues around Mm. everywhere and other people might see them when we don't see them. So even asking your parents, perhaps what you loved as a kid or your siblings might spark something too. Definitely. Often we'll have an element of in one of the January challenges about getting feedback from someone or like sharing gratitude with people. And it's lovely because you get such an insight into sort of how people see you and it's lovely like it's lovely to give ourselves that feedback but also I think that thing of like how much meaning we've got in our heads we'll often do an exercise where it's sort of like pick an object to represent how you are today (laughs) and then so anyone will pick anything up 
But then you'll notice how much meaning you're putting into something. This is a really great organization called Street Wisdom. Yes. Do this. Yeah, yeah. They're brilliant. And I yeah. worked with them a while ago, several years ago, actually, when we first started out with 64 million artists. And yeah, this idea that you will go on a walk and as you're going on a walk, you'll ask a question and the environment will answer it for you. And, you know, I had some really profound experiences doing that. And those things aren't put there for you. It's about what what you're reading into the environment, because that stuff is all there in us. It never leaves us who we are. We're always who we are all the time. It's just that we're putting varying layers of rubbish on there to try and cover it up because it's scary. It's also really, really scary to be who you are all the time, because if someone doesn't like you the way that you are, that's much harder than someone not liking you when you're trying to be perfect. But also, who cares? <laughs> so in the end, the only thing that they don't like about you probably is because of their layers that they're putting onto them. So yeah, to me it is so freeing and joyful to be the person that you are, really. Yeah, and it's not even the person you're meant to be. It's the person you are. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You never stop being that person. One of the biggest gifts for me was being able to sort of really, I don't have a lot of like memories from childhood. Like I don't have a lot of like concrete memories, but I do have a real connection to the feeling of who I was when I was two, (laughs) you know, and now I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I can see it, you know, like they're their personalities are complete. They are just who they are so wholly and it's brilliant. And I never want to say, don't do that. Don't be like this because I just want to say, just keep being like this. <laughs> I'll try and manage it because it's also really hard. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it is. And I remember that feeling so strongly. And I think because I remember it, I, I was able to sort of reconnect with it more and of course, there are things that I have to do to like keep myself safe in the world and not just be like I was when I was two. But predominantly, that energy is really the same. <laughs> Your brain has developed somewhat as well. Yeah, <laughs> my language is a bit more improved. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about the January challenge, Joe, because I think this is something people anywhere in the world can take part in as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we have people from all over the world that do it. We've just had our 10th year this January. And it was one of the very first things I did when we came up with the idea of the company, because I had taken this time off work and asked different people to send me these creative challenges and had such positive experience. I sort of said to some of my mates, does anyone want to do it with me this January? I sort of put a little call out on Facebook. And about 200 people did it, I think, that first year. And it was this sort of lovely little thing. And People seem to love it. So we did it again. And then the next year, about 700 people did it. And then about 1,500 people did it. And now we think about 50,000 people do it. But to be honest, probably more than that, because it is really hard to keep an idea on the numbers. But what's really nice now is it used to be that originally my mates set me the challenges. And then I, for a year or two, I set them. But then very quickly after that, we invited our community to set the challenges. And we still do that. So might be a library or a youth group or a company or set of artists or whoever all across the country people send in these challenges we curate them into a 31 day program and yeah and people do them everywhere and what's lovely is we have a whole load of individuals do it but also I think people that we would say people that work with people so whether that's a 
learning development person in an organization, whether it's a teacher, whether it's an activities coordinator in a care home, a prison officer, a youth worker, library coordinator, the people, they take the January challenge and they just run it in their place. And that's what's so lovely to see because it's free. It's really easy to get your head around. All of the challenges are free to do that you shouldn't require any any resources apart from maybe things that you can find in the like natural environment outside of your house and so that's what we do and it's just this lovely community and it feels very owned by the community it doesn't feel like a sort of 64 million artists thing it's very much a big national thing that lots of people take part in and uh, yeah I love it still always my favorite thing about the year <laughs> seeing these little stories come out and the people sharing with each other and developing these friendships and every so often we'll get these stories someone will write and say five years ago I did the January challenge and I'd completely forgotten that I loved drawing and I sort of stopped doing it completely so I started doing it in the January challenge and I carried on and I did some classes and now I've quit my job and I'm now a graphic designer full-time because I love it it's just like I love that <laughs> but also for some people it's nothing near as profound as that but it is it made my day I got up every day in January and I wondered what the challenge was and that was a really nice way to start the day I just I love that <laughs> and what was one of the more unusual challenges that you've had to do in all those years <laughs> oh that's a great one I think oh let me think about some of the ones that I've done the ones that I always find the hardest which is funny but I always find the ones that where it's just like sit quietly and close your eyes <laughs> like they, those are the ones that I find the most difficult I'm very much a kind of person on the go but I also love the ones where it is about connecting with people there was one where you I can't remember what the actual challenge was but it resulted in me contacting my mum and we were sharing oh that was it find out things that you have in common with someone and then I wrote a poem about it and it was so lovely because I wrote this poem and I just remember it started me and my mum we love the sea we love the sea my mum and me and then oh my goodness a few days later the challenge was all around find an object that you love or you write a poem to an object and we were taking down our Christmas tree and my four-year-old was sad about the Christmas tree and he decided that he wanted to write about the Christmas tree that was what was really lovely about this year's challenge because he was available to do it in a way that he hadn't been so much a bit younger anyway and he wrote down to some extent obviously he's for his, his writing but he did he spent ages like really concentrating and writing and he brought it over to me and it said me and my mum, we love the tree. We love the tree, my mum and me. And like, he'd remembered it from like a few days before and he'd written this, but I'd, honestly, it still makes me like well up now. <laughs> it's all like it's making me well up here. <laughs> it's just incredible, this connection that I'd had with my mum and then he was having with me and it was really so beautiful. And I love the connections that people develop with strangers, but I really also love the deepening of connection that you see with kind of friends and colleagues and family. Yeah, it's lovely. Beautiful. So if people are interested in doing the challenge in 2024, yeah. <laughs> what do you need to do? So you can just go to our website, 64millionartists.com and you can sign up there, but you can also sign up at the same time for the weekly challenge, which is to sort of warm you up in the interim. You can get a challenge that comes out on a Monday morning and you can also receive our, our newsletter, The Creative Switch, which we're all sort of sending out. 
interesting bits of work that we're doing but also kind of sharing stories from across the country around people that are doing interesting creative things Ooh, we'll put a, a link in the show notes for that and hopefully encourage more people to dapple with their creativity as well and we've talked around the benefits Joe, but I think there's probably more than what we've talked about here what else does tapping into the creative side do for people so I would say the biggest things that we've seen from the kind of data that we collect is that we see that people feel they're able to regulate their emotions. So they're able to experience, but also understand and process their emotions. So they're feeling more regulated in their mental health. They feel more connected with people and yeah, develop strong connections. There are a lot of people say that they feel more motivated, more driven, and that they want to get up and get out and do more things. What else? <laughs> there's, there's loads of other things from the data I should have. I feel like I should get better at having that stored in my head. But even um, that, that's three very clear points, I think. And I, when we hadn't covered all of those either, and so much of what we see is people not being able to process emotions, people not connecting with other people. Yeah, they were connected, but not deeply connected and people lacking motivation I mean if you look at the engagement scores that come out about workplaces and everything I think of gratitude challenges or any of these things that we do that actually when you start to think about yourself and how you express yourself and what matters to you then you can shift your relationship with the world you live in yeah absolutely and I think that's what we see and and then we see it in these sort of really small little ways but those ways grow and grow and grow and grow and the more that you can kind of continue to do it and develop it as a practice you know those turn into big bold changes and they're big bold work projects big bold life decisions <laughs> like and I think that's what you know what we'll never know all of the impact that we've had on people's lives but what we do see is though that change that we see in people in January and we've done studies on it we did a study with UCL that took that model with smaller groups and we see a drop in depression anxiety and stress and an increase in well-being like a clinically significant change so we know that it is really supporting general well-being and it's because of all of those things and it's brilliant because for the most part it can be free as well you don't need to go out and buy the latest paints or the a big piano or anything you can you can just wander around and take a question for a walk and see it somewhere yeah I've always been so passionate about the stuff that like this is not a commodity that needs to be sold to us it's just something that we have within us and it's something that we need very little or no, no materials really but it's also good to engage with your environment or look at what's in your house or whatever but but yeah it is it's free it's accessible because it's us it's just us as a resource it's like tapping into yourself the resource that is you <laughs> yeah and it's also more than just thinking I think that's the other thing isn't it you're doing you're taking action and that's also really powerful too yeah, exactly. I think that moment of there's so many days in the January, in January still, where I'll be like, oh, God, I'll be bothered to do that one today. And then just the action, it's quite good to run the company and therefore sort of feel like you have to. <laughs> uh, but then I do it. And every time I'm always surprised, like, oh, I feel a lot better now. I've just 
had to push myself through to do and even if you do it to that with very little effort and you don't put much into it you still are like well I did that thing today you get to the end of the day you look back and think well I did that thing and that's a nice thing to end the day with yeah and it didn't have to be perfect exactly (laughs) (laughs) that shouldn't be (laughs) perfect perfect is great if that's what you're aiming for (laughs) Joe thank you so much that was such an interesting dive into all things creative and how it can really help us in our day-to-day life in a very accessible normal way and that it's not reserved for people like that or people over there and I think that's really brilliant thank you absolutely thank you I've really really enjoyed it great well if people want to connect with you Joe you've already mentioned 64 million artists and the newsletter and all of that and I'll put those in details in the show notes. Anywhere else people should look or? No, you can find us on all the socials at 64 Million Artists. But yeah, we'd love, to, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.